based on the word of God. It speaks to the heart, and uh, we are so thankful for that. Thank you, choir, and uh, thank you uh, to all of our uh, musicians as well as to our congregation for singing uh, the truth of God's word this morning and uh, all the aspects of our service or worship, from the offering to the music to the congregational singing to the special music to the preaching of God's word. They're all to be done in worship and worship in spirit and in truth as we are taught in John chapter 4. Luke chapter 17, excuse me, I said 17, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. We were in Luke 17 the other night, and uh, chapter 17, I guess, is still uh, stuck in my head. But Luke chapter 24, we were here just a few moments ago in our scripture reading. And of course, this Easter Sunday, we want to focus upon the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. And this is a passage that I know it's not in the, the same uh, didactic or, or teaching kind of passage as a 1 Corinthians 15. I know it doesn't have the, the, the narrative of the other uh, gospel accounts um, or earlier uh, in the, the book of Luke of the uh, resurrection of our Lord, but it is a resurrection passage as uh, we just read. And these disciples traveling to Emmaus are reminded of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they are brought to remembrance of things that Jesus had taught and they had uh, not understood and had uh, maybe uh, forgotten uh, or just it, it wasn't uh, clicking with them. And so that brings us right away to our very first point this morning, and that is the perplexing circumstances. The perplexing circumstances. We read here, once again, in Luke 24 and verse 13, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, that they should not know him. This is the perplexing circumstance. The things that had happened. We have to go all the way back up in chapter 24 to verse number 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabouts, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. There we see again, remember. We continue reading verse number seven, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, verse number 11, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. 
Verse 12, then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Those were the perplexing circumstances. Those were the things which had happened that are referenced there in verse number 14. Jesus has risen from the grave. We know that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had begged for the body of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea in particular, and Nicodemus then helped him in preparing Jesus' body for burial. We think of Friday, this past Friday, as Good Friday. Good, and that Sunday is coming. The resurrection is coming. The day that we recognize today as Easter Sunday. They were men of the Sanhedrin, of the council. They were putting, in a sense, their reputation, they were putting uh, their uh, authority, their, their leadership, they, they were publicly recognizing that Jesus was the Savior of the world. They were demonstrating faith, and they were actually distancing themselves from the religious leaders who had been so instrumental in bringing about Jesus' crucifixion. But Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were demonstrating, giving evidence of their true saving faith in Christ, I believe. Nicodemus had met with Jesus in John chapter 3, and Jesus had witnessed to him and said, You must be born again. And in that great passage, we know the verse... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I wonder if those words weren't resonating in Nicodemus' mind as he went with Joseph of Arimathea and took the body of Jesus and laid that in the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had, had given for the body of Jesus. And yet in spite of Christ's consistent prophecies and teaching regarding his crucifixion and resurrection, there was a lack still of understanding by even Christ's closest followers. Christ had made it so clear that he had to go to the cross and die, and then three days later he would, or on the third day, he would rise from the grave. This had been taught to them. We just read in a couple of places here the uh, angels said, don't you remember? Uh, Jesus walking with the disciples, having resurrected from the grave, and they did not recognize him, and he says, don't you remember what has been taught to you? The, 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 the apostles themselves, in verse 11, it was idle tells, even as the women came and said, we have seen the empty tomb. And isn't that just like men? We don't get it sometimes, do we? Sometimes it's our wives... It's our moms, it's our sisters that say, haven't you seen this? I mean, we as men, we can open up the closet and we can't find the thing that our wife sent us to get. We open up the drawer and we don't know where it's at and she walks right there and pulls it right out. We open up the refrigerator and all we see is steak and meat and all those good things to eat, maybe the sugar type foods. And our wife had sent us to get something out of the refrigerator and we can't find it. Isn't it like that sometimes for the men to be the more stubborn or blinded or obstinate ones? But here they had seen the empty tomb and they came to the apostles and 
It was as idle tales. They had walked with Jesus. They had heard the very words as he taught them as they walked with him. And it was as idle tales, and they believed them not. And then, of course, Peter, I love Peter. He had a lot to learn, didn't he? He was a, a big mouth. Had put his foot in his, he put his foot in his mouth a lot of times. Jesus had a lot of instruction, a lot of teaching, had a lot of rough edges to rub off with Peter. And God wasn't done with Peter. Jesus wasn't done with Peter. And Peter, of course, he leaves. And he says, I've got to see this for myself. And he runs to the tomb. And he goes in there in verse 12. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Jesus had taught them. He had made it very clear. We, we can go back to other passages, such as Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10 where we read is Jesus is preparing the disciples as he's teaching them, as he's instructing them in verse 32 of Mark 10. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the 12 and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. He had made it very plain. Also in Matthew 16 and earlier in Luke chapter 18, he repeats in Matthew chapter 20 and in Matthew 17 and verse 22, these same instructions, these same teachings, these same prophecies regarding his death, burial, and resurrection. The teaching had been plain. It had been obvious. But they were so focused upon the Messiah bringing his kingdom to the earth. Down in verse 21 of Luke 24, they make reference, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. They were so focused, though they trusted Christ, we're speaking of true believers, true disciples, though they had trusted Christ as their Savior, they knew Him as the Messiah, but there was still this misunderstanding, this level of knowledge and understanding that they still had not reached regarding the fact that the Messiah, before He would ever set up a literal kingdom here on earth, we often refer to as the millennial kingdom, one that we have studied in our series on prophecy on Sunday nights. They were thinking of the millennial kingdom in Israel ruling and reigning on the earth and them as disciples ruling with Christ as governors, as kings and priests. And they were seeing the kingdom to come, not realizing that Christ had to die on the cross there had to be atonement for sin that Christ would rise again before there would ever be a literal 1,000-year millennial kingdom here on earth where Jesus rules and reigns with a rod of iron or the eternal kingdom. It just didn't compute. It just wasn't quite all there in their minds. And we can't be too critical of them because we're very much the same way sometimes. We believe that Christ saved us. We're born again. We, we've trusted in him as our Messiah, as the Savior of the world. We've trusted in him, in him as the only way of salvation, that there is 
There is not salvation in any other. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We have called upon Him in faith. We've turned from our sin, having seen ourselves as a sinner who cannot save Himself, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. We've come to Him as sinners, begging for forgiveness. We have received His mercy. We've trusted in Him as our Savior. We've claimed His death, burial, and resurrection. As the sacrifice for our sins, we're saved individuals. We've come to him in genuine saving faith. But boy, we are forgetful. Boy, we are just so shallow sometimes in our theology and in our thinking. And you think about it as as believers. Some of the things that, that we are so forgetful about. Things that we are still so shallow in our understanding. Yes, it's sometimes the things of theology... Yes, but then there's the practical applications. We know, we believe, but then when it comes to the application, just as these disciples struggled with the application of the words that they had heard, that they should have known, that they should have received, that they should have understood, so we struggle many times with the application of biblical principles. Things like worry and anxiety. And we're forgetful of what Christ has said and the promises of the Word of God. I think one of the areas that we are often forgetful is in the area of forgiveness. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sins, but we have such a hard time extending that forgiveness to other people. It's hard. It's one of the teachings of Christ throughout the Gospel accounts of if thy brother offend thee, Rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And the Jewish teaching was, don't forgive very often, and certainly don't forgive your enemies. And Jesus went further and said, love your enemies. Pray for them, bless them, do good to them. Forgiveness is an area that we struggle. We believe it for our salvation. We believe it for certain people, but we don't really want to apply that. When it really comes down to where the rubber meets the road. I think of worry. I think of forgiveness. I think of speaking the truth in love. I know we can stick a yard sign in our yard. Be kind. But do we really understand kindness from a biblical perspective? Galatians 6 tells us to restore our brother in a spirit of meekness. Sometimes speaking the truth in love means wounding our friend in the right way. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Provoking one another to love and to good works. Iron sharpening iron. But we need to define kindness by the principles of the word of God. We forget that speaking the truth in love includes the internet. And posting. Somehow we forget from the time we put that, those fingers on that keyboard to the time that we hit enter or click on the arrow that sends it into the internet, do we realize that delete doesn't mean delete? Most of the time, unless you can bleach a hard drive, and even then, sometimes the experts can retrieve data, but oftentimes what has been put on the internet never, ever is permanently erased. And God has said that what is spoken in secret will be shouted on the rooftops. There are consequences for our sin, and yet we're so forgetful. We believe, yes, and we teach it, and we tell others to be kind, and we want kindness, and yet 
we'll post all kinds of things online that we would never say to somebody in person. Or we have the truth and we put it on the tip of a dagger and we shove it down someone's throat and say, believe this, accept this truth. We're forgetful, aren't we, when it comes to certain practical applications of the truth of the word of God. And we get critical of believers such as these disciples. They, they saw the empty tomb in some cases. In, in the case of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they are explaining to Jesus himself who is walking with them and they are not even recognizing him. God knew their hearts. God knew their struggle. And he allowed them to remain in an ignorant state for a period of time. While Jesus once again reiterated and explained the perplexing circumstances. You know, it should have been so obvious. It should have been so clear. Verse number 19, we read, And he said unto them, What things? I love how Jesus prods them to get them to admit. What things are you talking about? What things, as they said to him, have you, are you just a stranger? Verse 18 in Jerusalem has not known the things which are come to pass. And Jesus says, what things? Verse 19. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Jesus, a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. He was God's son. He was the God-man. It was obvious he was of God. He was mighty in deed and in word. And yet they wouldn't truly, fully, completely accept and understand and be able to apply the things that he had taught them concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's walking right there with them, and they don't recognize him. These are the perplexing circumstances. But then we also see the curious stranger. The curious stranger. Again, Luke 24 in verse 13, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. This verb here, speaking of going or they went in verse 13, it's in the imperfect tense, implying that they were already on their way. They were already walking. They had already left Jerusalem. They were headed northwest, about seven miles it was from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They had already left. They were on the way. They were walking, already walking. And we read there that their, their eyes were, were restrained. They, they were holden. Again, they're is this curious stranger then who comes alongside them as they are walking. Verse 15, it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. So they're talking amongst themselves. They are sharing maybe some of the things that 
they are trying to understand, trying to figure out, that they're anxious about, that they're fearful about. We've been there. We, we have people that we come to when we're needing someone to talk to. Sometimes the greatest part of counseling is just listening. Sometimes I've been in, I've been in multiple sessions, meetings, whatever you want to call them. And uh, I, I found that sometimes I just have to let somebody, I don't mean to be crude here, but sometimes I just have to let people puke it out. Sometimes people just, ha- they just have to get it out. They just have to get it out of their system. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a little bit like that. Uh, and this sounds really silly, but sometimes I'd come home from a frustrating day at school. I'd go, <laughs> I'd go into my room, I'd close the door, and I would have an argument with myself. <laughs> sometimes that was in prayer. <laughs> sometimes that was in frustration. And I'm sure my mom and dad walked by my room sometimes, and they are like, what kind of a child are we raising here? Because <laughs> I'd go in the room and I would just, I would, I mean, I've always been that way. I'm just one, I have to verbalize. And some people, they, they, they keep it in and, and that can be dangerous. And verbalizing can sometimes be dangerous. If we do that in the wrong time, in the wrong way, the wrong manner, in anger, frustration, whatever. But they're communing together. They're talking. They're sharing back and forth as they're walking out of Jerusalem. No no doubt having some fear, having some anxiety. What are we going to do next? What is going on? Why did he die? Why, how could they treat him this way? This is such a grave injustice. But there's no Supreme Court to appeal to. This is the Roman government that's in control here. A dictatorial emperor thousands of miles away, and he's got his governors, Gentiles and Jews involved in the crucifixion. Our sin who put him there. There's no lawyer to appeal to, no Supreme Court. There's no ADF, no Liberty Council. Grave injustice. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, has just been cruelly, unjustly murdered like a common criminal. This was our Savior. This was our Messiah. What are we going to do now? You ever been there? You ever been so just conflicted in your spirit. What am I going to do now, Lord? Michael Garamy shared a little bit of frustration out of baptism. Lord, you brought us here. What are we going to do now? Why are we in this public bathroom? <laughs> I appreciated your, your illustration. What are we doing? Why are we here? What is going on? Lord, can you, can, can you fill us in a little bit? You know, that's the attitude we get, right? And we struggle with God's providence. And ultimately, it is often, most often, we struggle with our submission. We struggle with our humility. Our pride is in the way. And God often has us in prayer and on our knees because he's trying to teach us to be humble, to submit to him, to trust him. Because maybe we are trying to navigate through this on our own terms, in our own way, and we want to say, Lord, not your will, but mine be done. Instead of praying, Lord, thy will, not mine be done. So they're talking, they're communing together as we, we would normally do. And, 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 and they're struggling. And Jesus himself drew near in verse 15 and went with them. And their eyes were holden. Again, the idea here is their eyes were restrained. They were kept from recognizing him. 
And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Why are you so fretful and anxious? Your, your conversation seems to be one of fear and doubts and worry and struggle. Why these communications? Why are you so sad? And Cleopas is named here. We don't know Cleopas. We don't know really much uh, of anything about him other than from this passage. But here's Cleopas, and he answers, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? He, he says... Are you a stranger? Are you, are you a pilgrim? The word stranger here is translated uh, in, in other places, uh, a sojourner. Uh, the idea of, of someone just passing through, a pilgrim, a visitor. Are you, are you just new to town? Or are you just someone passing through? Do you not know what is the talk of the town? Again, this is not in the day of internet and 24-7 news cycles. Nowadays, what do we have? We have apps on our phone with notifications. And my, my phone is busy enough as it is. I get lots of uh, texts and phone calls and, and, and various communications. And, and the last thing I need is a 24-7 news app. And I'm not saying it's wrong if you have this. It's just for me, I do not want a, a news app sending me notifications of the breaking news um, I'll, I'll check my phone enough, I'll check the internet enough, I'll, I'll find out. Um, it's just, just my thing. But they're, they're not in that day. In, in, in our day, it's instantaneous. It's on social media, it's on Twitter. Uh, I don't know, all the different sources that are out there, all the different apps. We just, we immediately know the headlines. We know what's the talk of the town. Sadly, in a lot of cases, what is the talk of the internet town many times is either perverted, evil, or it's just utterly trivial and ridiculous. Some of these TikTok challenges that I hear about, that some of these kids are participating in, why would you even consider doing some of those things that, that are so popular in, in, in the TikTok world and some of the, the challenges that are out there? They didn't live in that kind of a world, but News had spread. It was all around town. People were talking about it. Even in a non-internet age, in a non-information age, everybody knew what had just happened. So who are you to not know what's going on? Are you a pilgrim? Are you a visitor, a sojourner, a stranger? How can you not know what's going on? So we continue here and that's where Jesus answered, as we saw just a few moments ago, and he said unto them, what things? I love how Jesus prompts them to explain from their hearts what they are thinking, what they are talking about, what's on their mind, what's on their heart. He gets them to share, as Jesus is a master of asking questions and prompting certain responses to reveal the hearts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. 
Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had seen, also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found that even so as the women had said, but, they, but him they saw not. Apparently, they had not heard the report uh, yet, at least these two disciples of Mary Magdalene and thinking that Jesus was the gardener. Uh, apparently that had not come to their attention yet. But here again, they're recounting what they already knew. The sepulcher, the grave is empty. Uh, here's the one that we thought would redeem Israel. He was a prophet of God. He was the Messiah. He was going to redeem Israel. Certain women had been to the sepulcher. They had found the tomb empty. Angels, clearly angelic beings, said that he was alive. This vision has to do with revelation. That word vision there that they saw of the angels has to do with revelation. There was a revelation of angels. It was a, there, were, there were angels literally there who explained to them, do you not remember what he taught? He is not here. He is risen. And then we get down to verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All that the prophets had spoken in all the scriptures, beginning at Moses, he is equating all of the Old Testament as the very word of God. And the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament are scripture. Now later, there would be 27 more books added, the New Testament. The canon of scripture would be complete some years later. But he's already here again equating the entire Old Testament as the scripture, as the word of God. And what does the word of God, the Old Testament reveal? It reveals Jesus Christ. He didn't say, well, didn't you see the signs in the skies? Um, weren't, weren't you uh, listening to that prophet who said, oh, the Messiah would come on such and such a day? And if you just do this or that and you're only in a certain. Did he go through and then he did he come up with some sign like the Jews wanted? And what did Jesus say when the Jews asked for a sign? He said, the only sign I'm going to give is the sign of what? Jonah and the great fish, which was a picture of Christ and the resurrection, his crucifixion and resurrection. He was pointing even in that statement in the picture of Jonah and the well and being cast onto the shore, even that is a picture of the resurrection, of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was pointing them to himself. He doesn't refer to a sign. He doesn't refer to a wonder. He doesn't refer to the wisdom of the Greeks. He doesn't refer to any authority of the Romans. No, he goes to the scriptures. Can you imagine what that would have been like? One day we'll get to experience that in glory for those of us who know Christ as our Savior. 
There's going to be a depth of knowledge in heaven one day that's going to be just awesome. It's just going to be wonderful. Can you imagine the privilege they had as disciples walking? I mean, this is better than any podcast we listen to. If I'm out traveling or or running or walking, not running. I don't do much running, unless it's basketball or baseball or something like that. Sports-related running. But if I'm out walking or if I'm traveling, I'm usually listening to a podcast and sometimes around the house, doing laundry or dishes or whatever, I'll listen to a podcast. This is better than a podcast. Can you imagine? What, what would Christ have talked about with them? Maybe gone back to Genesis, talked about the serpent and how the serpent, yes, would hurt the heel, but the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent maybe he would go through maybe he went through the prophets and he went through in detail of the prophecies regarding Jesus in the old testament i believe there were something like 600 specific prophecies regarding Christ fulfilled in the life of Christ can you imagine what it was like as He went through from Moses throughout the entire Old Testament, book after book. I don't know how long it would have taken them, seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, I I don't know what that time frame would have been, probably several hours. And Jesus just keeps talking about maybe the Psalms and the prophecies, the Messianic Psalms, maybe Isaiah 53, going into Zechariah and there's... So many truths regarding the Messiah in the book of Zechariah. Maybe he went to the types and the symbols in the Mosaic law, in the sacrificial system. Maybe he went back and reminded them of the Passover that they had just observed. This past week, it was Wednesday at sundown, was, I believe, the Passover in the Jewish religious calendar in Shalom Ministries. Dr. Hartman sent an email out and and wanted us to recognize the, the Jewish Passover, though we don't celebrate the Jewish Passover, the, Jewish Passover uh, the, the way the Jews do traditionally. But we have, out of the Passover meal, our, one of our ordinances, communion, the Lord's table, which we observed just a few weeks ago. Maybe he went through the types and the symbols, reminded them of the Passover and the different meals, all those prophecies. And maybe he even once again brought up the great yearning and desire that we see all throughout the Old Testament of the need for a perfect priest. They couldn't find one. The need for a perfect prophet, and they couldn't find one. And the need for a perfect king. They couldn't find one. They all failed. But the Messiah fulfills all those. He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. What a conversation by this curious stranger that's a testimony to the infallibility and the the inspiration, the inspired word of God. And then, as I said a few minutes ago, add that, Add the New Testament to that, the scriptures, the faith. We have the word of God. We have what we need for salvation and for living the Christian life right here. Not that God doesn't give teaching and, and preaching gifts. 
and administrative gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not that he doesn't give those, but what does he give those for? The edification of the church. And he gives us a commission. If we were to finish chapter 24, we will see, as we think of in Matthew 28, the great commission. We have an opportunity to, to partner, as we have been, with the Garamis who are fulfilling the great commission in a part of the world that none of us are called to, but he is called there and we are partnering with him as he is fulfilling that great commission as we are to be doing the same right here in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria. And we support those who go out to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have that responsibility. The curious stranger is Jesus Christ. He expounded all these things in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So we have seen the perplexing circumstances and the curious stranger. And then finally we see the sudden awareness. The sudden awareness. We come down to verse number 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further, and they could, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. And the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them, and their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. The light bulb came on. Their understanding was enlightened. They were aware. They knew that he was the Messiah, that he was Jesus, excuse me. They knew, they recognized he is the risen Lord who was right there in their midst, who was talking and walking with them, who sat down at the table with them. And it seems so unusual to us, a complete stranger, and we just invite him <laughs> to join us for a meal. That was very common in those days, not unusual. And in Eastern cultures, I think there's even more of that welcoming than, than what we're used to here in America. But they just invited him. It's too late at night and very dangerous to travel after dark. Robbers and burglars and thieves, various things that could happen. Of course, they didn't have all the street lights and all the amenities that we have and the cars and, and, and everything that we have. So it had been dangerous for him to travel after dark. They obviously had gotten to know him quite a bit over that last several hours of walking. But they invited him to come and to eat with them, to stay the night with them. And they're breaking bread, they're eating. And all of a sudden, they realize, this is Jesus. This is the risen Lord. And as soon as the light bulb came on, he vanished from them. Here we see the glorified body of Jesus. He was eating with them, we read here. He had a glorified body that was prepared for heaven, that was capable of mysterious actions such as passing through grave clothes, Luke 24 and verse 12. They found the grave clothes there, folded neatly in the sepulcher. He was able to just vanish instantaneously from them. He was able later, as we 
would read in John, in, in John 20 of how he would literally pass through walls and doors and appeared in the midst of a closed room. Yet that glorified body retained the scars of the nails that had been driven into his feet, into his hands, and the spear into his side. And we see that he was even eating with them. So there was, even in that glorified state, in that glorified body, a ability to participate in a, in a meal. And we see that even in John 21, and it's implied at least that he ate fish with the disciples as he came and met with them and as he restored Peter. So we get a little glimpse into that glorified body that's described in greater detail in 1 Corinthians 15. So that's where we will close today. If we'll turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And we'll close with this great passage. As they suddenly became aware, this is Jesus, this is the risen Lord. All that truth that they had been taught, all that belief that they had in their hearts and in their minds, but they still struggled and were trying to piece it all together and how it could all fit. It clicked. As I've mentioned in here before, there's something really special about being a preacher or being a teacher, even as a parent, in that student, that, that child, uh, that, 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 that church member, that disciple that we've been teaching, mentoring, discipling, that we've been instructing, that we've been trying to help, when it, and when it clicks, when they get it, they get the answer right, they, 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 they obey, they apply the truth, they, they obey when mom and dad aren't around, they, they, they say certain things when you're not there, and then a manager, a boss, a coach, a teacher, somebody says, your child said this or said that or did this or did that, and you're like, because when you first came to me, I thought it was going to be bad news. <laughs> but you hear those good reports, and you're like, praise the Lord. Something clicked. They took ownership. Not perfect. They're not perfect because mom and dad aren't perfect. <laughs> but they, they, it clicked. We, we enjoy that in teaching and preaching and mentoring and discipling as parents. And it clicked. And these truths became a reality. But they would then take, and they would live out and we have the same commission. We have the same responsibility. We have the same call to go forth with the gospel and to declare these truths. And we come to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May that truth... Set a home in our hearts and our minds. May that reality of Christ, Christ is risen indeed. May that reality of that truth take us from this place to, to serve the Lord greater. To answer his call, to obey his will, to fulfill whatever call, whatever will that God has for our life. And what joy we can take 
as we have even prayed for those who have lost loved ones recently, that we who know Christ as our Savior can claim this promise that death has lost its sting, the grave has lost the victory, the strength of sin has been broken, but there is victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we go out in that resurrection power, living in victory and living victoriously for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these tremendous passages, passages of hope, of promise, Lord, that are also passages of obedience and calling and command. Lord, I pray that we will obey the command. First of all, if there's someone here who has not obeyed the command to repent, to believe. Lord, may today they call upon you in saving faith and turn from their sin and trust you as their Savior. But Lord, as believers, Lord, may we not be walking in anxiety and fear and disobedience, but Lord, walking in the truth. And Lord, may we go out from here in a day and age which there is so much darkness and evil around. Lord, may we live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and claim the promise that Christ is risen, risen indeed, and our faith is not in vain, our preaching is not in vain, a life lived in obedience to you is not in vain. And Lord, renew that in our hearts and our minds. May we go out from here and serve you greater and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jake is going to come and lead us in a closing hymn to this morning. Hymn number 327, stanza number one. If you'll find your hymnals and turn to hymn number 327, we'll sing just the first stanza of He Lives. If God has spoken to your heart, you can do business with the Lord even as we sing. Maybe you need to trust Christ as your Savior. We'd be happy to take some time after the service to show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. But as we stand together and sing 327, verse number 1, again, I want you to do business with the Lord. And as we sing, let's bring glory to Christ once again for His resurrected Lord and for the great salvation. May we once again sing with gratitude and praise to Him for His salvation. Jake comes and leads us.
Amen. What a joy to sing that together. I'm going to ask the Garamees if they'll go ahead and make their way back to the back, to the table there. hope that you'll take a few minutes and visit with them. Again, the invitation here at Berean is always open. If we can help in any way uh, from the Word of God, we'd be happy to do so. But it has been a blessing, been a joy to be here this morning. Thank you uh, to the many who came early, early this morning. Uh, remember, no evening service tonight. I know some of you have, uh, or some of us have, uh, uh, maybe plans with family, uh, with friends. Uh, maybe you're going to go out from here and kill the fatted calf or uh, have a nice ham or <laughs> a turkey or, or something. Um, but uh, enjoy your time with family. Uh, enjoy maybe a nice meal together. And uh, again, let's rejoice in this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, and thank the Lord uh, for his great salvation. Uh, so we'll dismiss uh, with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Ray Lee if he'll close us in a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll be on our way. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for uh, how we were shown here today, your truth and your, your sacrifice that you made for us. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in you because you conquered the sin and death and help us to live. For those of us who have accepted Christ as Savior, help us to live in a way that shows that hope and others and help us to live today to give an answer to the truth uh, that we have been taught. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for each one who has come today. Just ask that you go with us, that you drive safely wherever we're going from here. Thank you for your many visitors today. And uh, again, we just uh, ask for your strength as we continue to work for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.